So, um, this morning we're going to hit a particular psalm. If you didn't get a chance to grab one of these uh, sermon handouts, would invite you, they're, they're out in the thing, the yellow sheets, or you could follow along if you have a Bible with you. But I am going to read the entire psalm to start off with this morning. We are doing a sermon series called Honest Prayers. And it's looking at the Old Testament Psalms. And those were prayers of God's people in the Old Testament to see how we can learn how to pray today. And if I had to pick one Psalm that God's people needed, it would be the one we have today, Psalm 51. And in fact, we're told the very specific situation that this Psalm came about. It came about after David, King David, finally acknowledged his great sin with Bathsheba. And so what I think we can learn from Psalm 51 is how can we pray when we have sinned grievously against God? So follow along, if you would, with me from this this Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. And my sin is always before me. Against you. You only have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me. And I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God my Savior and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, To build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. This is the word of God for his people this morning. Amen. Amen. So. This has been a crazy week. And. uh, you see, ever watching those movies, how you see like the, the protagonist escaping from a situation just as everything else was like 
being destroyed behind them, you know, and it's just barely the last minute. Well, apparently we made it out of Ohio just in time, just before the quarantine fell upon that. So we, we made it out of, out of Ohio into the great state of New York just in time. Yes. So in light of my week, I have a confession. I'm pulling one out of the file this morning. I'm, I'm doing one I've done before, and it becomes obvious the minute I go into my, my opening illustration, because I'm not sure if any of the young people know who I'm talking about. Um, this was an incident that, that happened probably four or five, even seven years ago or so, um, but if I ask you what cyclist won seven Tour de France's in a row? Who can name that cyclist? Lance Armstrong. That's right. He was the, the greatest of all time. I mean, after coming back from cancer and winning the, the most grueling, difficult road cycling uh, competition out there. But then came the allegations of cheating. And he fought against them. He... he, he called the, the people who said things about him liars. Um, and he relentlessly went after anyone who suggested that he had been doping. Um, but finally the evidence became too much. And Lance Armstrong had to own up to what he had done. It was very difficult for him to own up to cheating. And when he did, he only sort of did. He went on Oprah, and his, his confession was not really a confession. Here, here's how it was described. Armstrong said that he thought taking the drugs was similar to filling his tires with air and bottle with water. He never thought of his actions as cheating, but leveling the playing field in a sport rife with doping. In other words, he was only doping because everyone else was doping, and that's just what you did. That was the norm. So it wasn't really cheating or wasn't really wrong in that sense. It was difficult for him to own up to what he had done. It was just as difficult for King David to own up to his sin. King David had been the greatest, is still, was still the greatest of the kings of Israel, of God's people. He was in high esteem. He had gained victory over all the surrounding enemies. God had blessed him and established his kingdom. All the other nations were, were, would come and um, give honor to him. He, he ruled. He'd get everything that he had wanted to achieve. And so when he sinned, it was bad. It was really bad. David had taken advantage of the young and beautiful wife of one of his soldiers. While Uriah was off at war fighting for David, fighting in his army, David had his palace guard bring Bathsheba to his, his chambers. Sometimes people imply Bathsheba had enticed the king. No. It was on David. He made the choice. She had no choice. 
And so he brought her there. He took advantage. And, and he thought it might be a, just a one-off thing. And he would get away with it. He did everything he could to hide it. And when it came out that she was pregnant and he could not hide it any longer, he had Uriah murdered. He arranged for the death of one of his own soldiers to hide his sin. It was very difficult for David to own up to it. And he was just starting to think he did, he got away with it. When God sent a prophet... The prophet Nathan came and he, he looked David in the eye. Imagine the guts it would take to do that. To look the king in the eye and said, what you did was abhorrent to God. Do you think the righteous and holy one of Israel is going to let you get away with that? David could have went the Lance Armstrong route. He was popular enough. He could have had Nathan killed. He could have had him shut up. But this is where David had a heart for God. And he remembered. And he realized what his sin had cost him. So then he owned up. He came clean. David was a man who had walked with God. And he wanted that, that, that walk restored. And so because of that, we have Psalm 51. This is David's prayer when he realized what he had done. And he realized how bad it was and how much he'd sinned against his God. So I'm just going to walk through this, this psalm and make some comments. I'm not going to reread all of it. So it might, you might want to have it kind of in hand with you as you go through. And I'll tell you which verses I'm commenting on. But um, this is David's prayer when he finally acknowledged what he had done. He starts by asking for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. What David did deserves death. And he comes with, with his head bowed before God. And when you entered the presence of a king in the ancient world, you came with your head bowed. Do you know why? Because the king could lop it off. He could command one of his soldiers to take your head. You were offering your head... Your life, in a sense, to the king. And David's coming and saying, have mercy, God. I deserve to die, but I'm trusting in your mercy. And what gave him strength to do that, strength to come clean, is two things. One is God's unfailing love. Or it could be translated steadfast love. It's the Hebrew word kesed. It's, it's the love of God that is faithful to us. Faithful to those he's in a covenant relationship with. Even when we continually fall short. He knew God's kesed. His faithful love. And the second thing he knew was God's great compassion. God's great mercy. He knew the character of God. And that gave him strength to admit it. He goes on to say, wash away all my iniquity. I, I think when we sin, oftentimes we'll say, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know what we're saying? Don't punish me for what I did. Sorry I, I really did that to you. Don't do it back to me. 
right? Sometimes we, we say, I'm sorry I got caught. And I don't want to face the punishment or consequences for what I did. David is not just sorry he got caught. He looks at what he did and wishes he, it would have never happened. He wants it to be blotted out, cleansed of it. Wash me. Wash, cleanse me from my sin. Going on to verses 3 to 6. We see different... Um, different synonyms for sin. Different words keep coming up. And let me just define the three that we see. First of all is sin. Sin means falling short of God's expectations for us. God as our creator has the right to set the standards, the rules in a sense by which we live. When we fall short of those, whether by action or inaction, we sin. That's what sin is. Transgressions. Transgressions is crossing a boundary, similar to trespasses. We, we cross a boundary line that God has set. God has said, this is the line, don't do this. You can do this, but don't cross this line. When we transgress, we break the laws of God. We break the boundaries that God had set for our life. And then the last one is iniquities. And this is one we don't use a lot. It has an implication. That our, our wrong actions, our sinful actions, stain and corrupt our inner being. We think we can sort of do it and then forget about it. But our actions impact our inner being. And so what iniquities is saying is that, that it has an effect upon us when we sin like that. So those are the different words that, that come up. And what David is realizing is that this is a chronic condition. He says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is not just a one time, oh, I screwed up, I, I won't do it again. He realizes that, that sin is rooted within him and that he just can't stop doing it. That it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's woven itself within his inner being. And, and that he needs God to intervene in his life. I think we could fool ourselves. We could say, no, 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 I can, I could sin once and then, well, you know, I won't do it again. We get away with it once. It's so easy to keep doing it because it gets woven into us. He goes on to say, I, against you and you only have I sinned. That, does that sound right to you? I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba. He certainly sinned against Uriah. He sinned against the other um, soldiers who he co-opted co into Uriah's murder. He sinned against the whole nation and leading them astray. But, but ultimately... David knew that he was answerable to God for what he had done. He was answerable to God. The others he had, had hurt. says sin in the biblical sense is only against God. This is from a commentary. We may hurt other people. 
but we sin against God. God's the only one that has the right to set the standards for our life. So, um, and God hates sin. Again, it talks about how you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that place. God wants his people to be true inside and out. God made us good. He loves the people he made and wants them to be whole and right inside and out. And sin is a denial of the truth in our inner being. Sin is a lie we tell ourselves before it becomes an action we commit. In the, a different version, the ESV version, it says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We need God to, to teach us that inner wisdom. Sin has taken root in our lives. We need one who can dig deep down into our soul and begin to unwind what's within and set us free from it. Moving on to verse 7 to 10. David asks for more than for, for, for just forgiveness. He wants to be cleansed, unwashed of his sin. It talks about hyssop. Hyssop is a branch that was used to, to spray either water or blood. And here's a quote from the commentary. It says, The unclean, such as lepers, used to present themselves before the priest on the occasion of their purification. The priest, being satisfied that the unclean person had met the requirements for purification, would take a bunch of hyssop and sprinkle the person with water in the symbolic act of ritual cleansing. He wants God to act as his priest in purifying him and setting him free from, from the guilt of sin. And he wants to be right with God again. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Even though he got away with the sin, he was living under the guilt of it. He wants to be set free. He wants that relationship of joy. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then he asks, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Think about what that's asking. He does not want to be defined by that action, by his, his worst sin. He, he, he's followed the Lord. He's, he's, David did incredible things for God. But sin can, can overwhelm everything else. And it can end up we're defined by the one bad thing we did versus anything else. And he says, blot out this transgression. Don't let this be how I'm defined, Lord. I was thinking about how, isn't that part of the debate we're having in our culture right now? The, um, the you know, our, 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 our founders of our nation defined by the good that they did versus the, the evil. I, I, I can't help but think about it because we watched Hamilton a couple times. And I, has anyone else seen that? Right? And, and they acknowledge in Hamilton, you know, well, they were slave owners and um, uh, Jefferson was a slave owner, but he wrote the Declaration of, of Dependence. What, what's going to define him? What's going to be the thing that, that marks him? And then Hamilton himself, and spoiler alert, uh, like, is he going to be defined by the time he committed adultery? 
or by what he did in, a, in setting our nation on a good path. And so I see that in here too. Is, is David going to be defined by the incident with Bathsheba or by the, the other things that he did? Going on to verse 11 and 12. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Here we're seeing what David was most afraid of. He was afraid that he had lost God's spirit and presence forever. He had reason to be afraid. Before David was King Saul. Saul had been initially God's king. And had served God. But he had been obstinately unwilling to follow what God said. And so even though Saul had initially had God's favor and spirit upon him, he lost it. And David had seen what happened to Saul. Saul became increasingly paranoid. It says he was plagued by an unclean spirit. And David was there the different times that Saul went nearly crazy. And he would, he would try to kill David. And in fact, David was sent to, to play his music that would calm the spirit of, of Saul. And David is terrified. Lord, have I lost you forever? Have I lost your spirit? When I think about myself and my own struggle with sins, the idea of God's spirit leaving me is terrifying. The thought that God might say, enough. That's it, Mitch. You've sinned too many times. So this time I'm out of here. You're on your own. That would be the very worst thing that could ever happen. Take comfort. God through Jesus has established a covenant with us. And he is faithful to that covenant even when we are not. And the New Testament scriptures say that over and over again in different ways. Just let me give you a few of them. Romans 8 declares, there's nothing in the entire universe that can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. That, that covenant love cannot be taken away from us if we are in Jesus Christ. Another place, Philippians 1.6, I love this verse. It says, he who began a good work within you will carry it on to completion. That means that when we have said yes to Jesus and invited him to come in our life, he, he comes in and he begins to do a work within us. And, and there will be times where we will fall short of what we're called to do. He does not stop the work. He continues to, to do it. And that come a day when it will be finished, when he will purify us from all sin, and we will see him face to face, and we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Yeah. And then one last one, John 10, it, it's talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. And, and Jesus says, you know, my, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. They shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. He has a hold of us, 
even when we have this tendency to wander away from him. And the picture I have of this is that of a father crossing a busy street with his child. Now, he will say to the child, hold my hand, right? Dads, won't you say that? Hold my hand. And the child will, will hold the hand. But the child can be panicked or distracted or whatever and all of a sudden let go. Does that mean the child is going to, you know, run out into traffic? Of course not. The father is holding on to that child's hand even when the child gets distracted and lets go for a minute, right? Dad, you are going to make sure your child gets across that street safely. That is our father. That's the covenant relationship we have with God. God will not leave us. Now, hear this though. Obstinate sin will affect our experience of the fellowship with God. The joy of knowing him. And we might need to come back to him and say, restore to me the joy of your salvation. If we are a follower of Jesus and we are obstinately going against the direction he's set for us, we will not experience that joy. That's where we need confession. Moving on, verse 13. 13 to 15. David then shifts. He shifts into what would happen, what would it be like if I really fully experienced this, this thing? He says, then I could testify to your, your grace. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You know, he's asking, God, I, I really want to be able to praise you. And, and I think it can be powerful when God's people share the testimonies of God's grace in our lives. In fact, I'm convinced that is far more powerful than us talking about our religious practices, our religious observances or works. I think people outside the church aren't as impressed as we think they are by how holy we live. They're, they don't really, even our good deeds of helping the poor, they're not so impressed with that. Um, but when we can say, I was an idiot, and God forgave me, and changed my life, I think that actually has more power in the, the minds of, of the non-church people than we, than we can imagine. And I think in eternity, I don't think we'll spend much time talking about our, our good deeds. Um, in fact, we, we sang that, that song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Picked that one on purpose. Because I love that image where it says, casting down our golden crowns. That is a picture of revelation of the, the apostles or, or the Lord's people who have these crowns that represent the good deeds they had done while serving the Lord on earth. But when they experience the presence of God, what do they do with them? That's nothing. Once you see God and experience him, your, your good deeds, <laughs> I don't even want them on my head, right? I cast this down before you. But I think we'll talk a lot of times saying, I can't believe God forgave an idiot like me. And I can't believe how much his love changed my life. Verses 16 and 17. David is thinking about what he can bring to God, an offering. 
And he says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The normal thing to offer a God of the Old Testament was an offering. You know, you bring an animal, you burn it up, and you give it to the God. And David says, God, you don't really care about that stuff, I know, right? That, that doesn't please you. But what can I bring? This, is, this could be my favorite verse. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Any person coming to the Lord sincerely owning up to their failings, he will not despise such a person. He will forgive them and restore them. Verses 18 and 19, closing up. David now prays as king. Because remember, he's still the king of God's people. And he says, may it delight, may it please you to prosper Zion. Zion is the key word for Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. To build up the walls of Jerusalem. Saying, Lord, bless your people. May you build up our nation. Um, and then when, when you do, we will give you the offerings. And we will praise you and we will sing to your name. Um, we will not forget you. When God forgives, when God restores his people, it is good that his people remember that we worship and we come together and honor him. There are two things I think God wants you to know in regards to sin and confession this morning. The first one is simple. It is not our sin that keeps us from God. Jesus has already made provision for our sin. He's, he's already dealt with it. That's what it meant when he said, it is finished on the cross. It is not our sin that keeps us from experiencing and knowing God. He's already forgiven the, the actions that we've committed, the sins we've committed. But our hearts, when they are hardened to God, and, and when we refuse to acknowledge our need for him, that can become the barrier that keeps us from knowing the goodness and love of God. Let me just read what I said. And so you know this. It is not your sin that keeps you from God. But what will put a block between you and God is a refusal to acknowledge and own up to sin and the things in your life that has displeased our God. Do you find it difficult to confess your sins to the Lord? To even recognize where you've fallen short of God's will for you? Is that difficult for you? The second thing that I think God wants you to know in regard to sin and confession, and it's a five-parter, there's five results of confession. See, the main thing is God wants to do more than just forgive your sin. And we see that in David's prayer, the things that he asked for. The first is that um, through confession, it says we have a restored relationship. Create in me a clean heart, O God. That's what comes about. When we own up to our sin and we confess it before God, a restored relationship. The second thing he wants to give us is that we would no longer be defined by our sin. 
blot out my transgression. Yes, it's not that God forgets it and doesn't know we did it, but it doesn't mark us primarily as who we are. We are something else. We are sons and daughters of God. The third thing God wants to do is we would be cleansed of the stain of sin. Wash away all my iniquity. The aspect of our sin that has rooted itself within our heart, he wants to begin to unroot that and wash that away so that it doesn't mark our soul. The third thing he wants to give us, new strength to live for him. Renew a steadfast spirit within me that we would be able to follow the Lord, that we would grow from our failure and restoration and have new strength to live for Jesus in our life. And lastly, he would restore to us, we would regain the joy of our salvation. Let me hear joy and gladness. That we would have that inner delight in walking with our God again. So out of those five, which of those calls to you this morning? Which of those would lead you to really own up to your sin and seek his forgiveness. Which of those do you desire most? Brothers and sisters, I, I just want to close with, it is, it is so good when, when we confess our sins to God and experience his forgiveness. And I was thinking even this morning about something I did while I was serving at a, at a camp, actually an up upstate New York in Saranac Lake. And I blew it. I won't even tell you what I did. Um, but I had to own up to it to the people I had affected. And it may have been one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Just to just acknowledge what I did and, and how bad it was. And they forgave me. I had trouble believing they had forgiven me. I spent the next three days walking around waiting for someone to bring it up again. Nope. They forgave me. And in fact, we had a, a good relationship again. That's what it can be when we, we go through the hard part of confessing what we've done. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that, that you have... You are a gracious and compassionate God. I thank you for your unfailing, steadfast love that holds on to us even when we, we waver in following you. Lord, you are good. We trust you. Give us the strength to own up to any sin and failing in our life that we might experience your, your, the fullness of your, your goodness to us. We ask this in the name of your son. Amen. To close, I would just invite you to pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go now in the peace of Christ. Amen.